Right, we are back. Um, it's been a while. It's felt like it's been longer. I think it's been about five months since the last podcast I did. Um, but today I wanted to do one a little bit differently. And a few weeks ago I had the idea of asking all the people that I'd worked with previously what were the biggest lessons that they learned from working with me that other people should know. And I just thought that would be a really interesting uh, podcast episode. It did turn a little bit into just people telling me like, how great I was, which wasn't the intention. And obviously, I already know that, so it doesn't really matter. But um, it was really interesting to see what people had said was the, the benefit of going through my coaching program. So I thought I would share their biggest lessons and then maybe elaborate on them a little bit to explain to you why you should be doing these things and what benefit that they have when it comes to food, any context that's important, anything like that. So I've got um, how many answers? One, two, two, ten, ten proper answers. Um, and I'm sufficiently caffeinated, so I thought I'd just get going on this. I haven't named anyone in it. It's all anonymous, but they are all from people. I've not made all these up. So number one, uh, so the first one someone said was, that food is more than taste and calories. It is the quickest way to make you feel energized. It can help you heal. It can help you with certain illnesses and ailments. It can help muscle growth. It can literally make you feel good physically, mentally, and emotionally. It's about making memories. Obviously, there's quite a lot to unpack here, but I think what is really important, particularly from, from this person, one is that just the impact that nutrition has on our physical health weirdly it sounds really weird to say this but i think this is actually underrated and downplayed a little bit we've become so focused on nutrition as a means of manipulating calories and losing weight and as great as the fitness industry is i think it does try and boil nutrition down to are you trying to get bigger or smaller and while that might be some people's goals and that might be even be your goal i would say that is fine but i would warn against that being your only goal because nutrition actually does an awful lot more and if you think of some of the things that nutrition can give you it's worth thinking about that and not just thinking it doesn't matter if i feel better i need to lose weight because what are you trying to lose weight for so when it comes to weight loss people say i want to lose weight to have more energy and then the way they will try and lose weight is to feel is to eat next to nothing horrible detox stuff um, basically do all sorts of horrible things to make them shit themselves and lose weight. And that doesn't kind of align with you saying that you want to have lots of energy. So that works in the other way as well. If you are someone who wants to lose weight to have energy, why don't you eat in a way that makes you feel like you've got energy anyway? And then if you do lose weight, great, and you probably will. But if you don't, you're still getting the kind of outcome that you want from weight loss. So that's the first thing. When it comes to physical health, that's really important. I guess the second thing is the sort of mental and emotional side of food. And it's about making memories really stood out to me because I can think of several memories that I've got with people, uh, with friends and family and all those sorts of things. And just how many of them are actually at least have food or drink involved, if not are based around going for food and drink. Sometimes it's just that, food and drink was a part of it so for example people's weddings i will always remember the wedding but you there is food and drink and that's part of the social occasion sometimes it will actually be 
a meal or going for a few drinks with someone that is integral to the memory. So when we, again, just boil nutrition down to how many calories in this, we are really limiting our ability to actually have a life, which is, again, the point of nutrition is to have a life. So if you're getting rid of your life to have better nutrition, to what end? What's the point? Like you, Yes, you might be healthier potentially for some people, but you probably won't be because you're ignoring your social health, which is a really important aspect of health and well-being. So, yeah, I think we could boil nutrition down to calories in versus calories out. And we could say that food is high calorie and very easy to overeat. Alcohol is doing absolutely nothing for me and is high calorie. But I think that is really a limited view and doesn't take into account just how much food and drink can do for us if we let it. So that is point number one. And it's sort of split into two points. Physically, um, food can make us feel great. And we kind of know that other people forget that quite quickly but two it can make us feel great socially as well and actually when we want to look at something potentially for weight loss that is sustainable trying to do that whilst banning social occasions banning enjoyable food and drink it's not going to last very long it's not sustainable because as soon as you do that you're saying i either am never going to socialize again or i'm going to go off whatever it is that i've got planned neither of those is really going to help number two it's about eating something delicious with no guilt because it's worth it in that moment and you can eat it mindfully and truly enjoy it. Again, this is a really good point. And to be fair, there's a lot more in the fitness industry that that does acknowledge the fact that we don't really need to feel guilt or shame with food. We've not killed anyone if we eat something. You are eating a chocolate cake, not murdering someone. So there's nothing to really feel guilty or ashamed about at all. But if you continue to ban foods and not allow yourself foods, you are going to feel guilty. So actually saying, oh, don't feel guilty about that food isn't particularly helpful, funnily enough. It's kind of like saying to someone, oh, you feel anxious. If you tried not feeling anxious, probably isn't going to help. What we need to understand is if I feel guilt or shame around food, why? What is underpinning that? Is it a belief about certain foods? Is it stuff I was taught when I was younger? Like There are all sorts of reasons why we might feel guilt and shame with food which we'll probably do another podcast on but it's understanding that in order to enjoy food I probably need to work out how to rid myself of that guilt and shame and also you can eat in a way that does not align with your goals in the short term and still make progress in the long term so again if you've got weight loss goal but you're going on a night out you can just make peace with the fact that that night out with loads of friends you haven't seen in ages is worth more to you than losing weight that week in the short term. And you might even put a little bit of weight on and you might put mostly water weight on, but you might even put on a little bit of fat mass and you can still be okay with that. And if you are, chances of you getting back onto it next week and just going, well, obviously I was going to put on weight because I enjoyed something social this week. I'm just going to go back to what I was doing before. It's going to happen and it's going to feel loads better when you do. So you can eat delicious things. There doesn't have to be any guilt. If you do feel that guilt or shame, it might make sense to work with someone to help remove that and also to understand where that is coming from. Number three, food can be dynamic in the sense that it can be changed to whatever your goals are at that time and one day or a few days or a week or like me last month, two weeks, not being focused on that goal does not mean that you won't get there and that irreversible damage has been done. 
understanding this has been one of the most liberating things of my life. It healed my relationship with food. So this one is a really nice example of pretty much what I was just saying in that you can have a long-term goal and then spend a period of time, even a couple of weeks, not focusing on that goal. And that does not mean that you have done damage. It does not mean that you've gone back to square one. It does not mean that you can't then just pick it up and carry on where you left off afterwards. What's really interesting is that if you are taking an approach to weight loss that is sustainable and that does make sense from a behavioral perspective, you're not just losing weight. You are learning new habits, new behaviors, new beliefs around food, a new mindset with food that is incredibly useful. If you came back from, let's say, a two-week holiday and you had gained some of the weight or all of the weight that you lost, you are not back to square one because if you were doing things properly before, you've learned a new way of eating, a new way of living, a new way of looking at food, of using food. So that is what we need to remember is that food can be dynamic. And with our goals, our goals don't need to be this relentless march towards them. They can be flexible. We can be flexible it can be dynamic and often days, weeks, and even months sometimes not going towards that goal will actually help us achieve that goal in the long term. And that's really important to remember. So you can change all of the time. You can say, like today I know that what I'm going to do is not going to be completely aligned with my goals. And that is fine. And actually what's really interesting. So say that you've got, a week, maybe two weeks on a holiday. When you allow yourself permission to not be perfect, to not eat in exactly the same way that you were eating when you were dieting and to possibly even not lose weight and maybe even gain a little bit of weight, you will find that you gain less weight when you do that than if you convince yourself you've got to be good, you've got to be strict, you've got to maintain everything you were doing before. And that's because you... Give yourself permission to do it and therefore all of your decisions become easier because there's not that pressure, there's not the expectation, there's not the regret, the guilt, the shame. If you say I've got to eat in exactly the same way, that is a really, really easy way to get into that all or nothing mindset because you are saying basically I'm going on a holiday where I know I haven't got much control of food but I've got to control my food the same way. You're saying that you don't have control yet you're expecting really high degrees of control Is it any wonder that when people do that, when they go away, they end up thinking, well, I can't do it now, so fuck it, I'll do what I want, and then eating and drinking what they want for the rest of the time, and then going way above and beyond what they would have done if they'd just given themselves permission to enjoy it, stick to some of the principles, but make the most of it and be okay with gaining a bit of weight. If you just do that, you're absolutely fine. If you tell yourself, I've got to continue this relentless march to my goal, you're in for a miserable time and you probably actually will end up further away from your goal. Number four, I think the biggest thing for me was the permission to eat anything and how much that changed my mindset around food I would previously seen as bad. Turns out that if I tell myself I can have cake whenever I want that, I don't actually want it that often. Who knew? So this is the thing with food. And the two things I always say to people with this is, If you're struggling with cravings, if you're struggling with problem foods, which is a phrase I absolutely hate, and you try and ban those foods, you are making the problem worse. You are, it's kind of like if you tell your brain, don't think of a pink elephant, that's what your brain does. You're just 
making it that when you eventually have those foods or other foods that are high calorie, you are more likely to overeat them. So in order to be able to control yourself around those foods, you need to learn how to say yes. This is a phrase I use a lot with clients. To be able to learn how to say no to certain foods, you need to learn how to say yes. So it's not just a case of, and people get into this sort of willpower and discipline thing where they say, well, this is what I need to have. And every time you go into a new diet thinking, well, I just need more willpower. Are you expecting that you are just going to be able to keep saying no to things indefinitely without any context, without even deciding whether you want it or not and allowing yourself to have it when you want it? You're just going to say no forever. And eventually on diet attempt number 603, you'll just have learned how to say no enough times and we'll get to where you want to be. It's not realistic when we think about it at scale. So thinking about learning how to say yes means that you'll be able to say no because you'll be able to say well I can have this whenever I want so do I really want it today and when you can start posing those questions you can find really good answers when we ban foods and then finally get access to them I see this a lot with people it's almost like your brain is saying we don't know when this person is going to allow us to have this food again so now we have it, we best fill our boots and make the most of it because I don't know when they're going to unban it again. And then you massively overeat and find yourself in all sorts of problems when it comes to your food. If you give yourself full permission to eat whenever you want, that doesn't mean eating all of the time. It just means that you give yourself the chance to make a decision. And that decision can still be no. And that decision will feel easier to say no when you let yourself say yes. So that was number four. Number five, I've learned a lot about self-awareness and value since being a client, but on a practical level, I still use everything you taught me about timing of meals, snacks around training and refueling. Habits such as 130 grams of protein a day, eight portions of fruit and veg have become so ingrained in my life, I don't even need to try and eat healthy. It just happens and I'm eating lots of nutritious food with no restrictions or any less nutrient-dense food. Everything is welcome. So this follows on really nicely from the last one, actually, where just because you're giving yourself permission to eat whatever you want, that doesn't mean that you don't try and make conscious food choices that actually support your health. So just because you're saying, I can have some chocolate if I want, we're not saying when you do this, you'll only eat chocolate because that doesn't tend to happen anyway. So I, when I work with someone, I would still put habits in place that focus around diet quality, that focus on um, cooking our own meals most of the time, using unprocessed food, whatever definition of that phrase you want. Um, protein regularly for some people because it helps with recovery from the gym, with muscle gain, with fullness, um, with fat loss generally. And lots of fruit and veg because we know variety of fruit and veg is very good for us. We know that lots of fiber from fruit and veg is going to make us feel full. So these principles are really useful to allow yourself some structure with food whilst you also have the autonomy so when people start trying to lose weight and we say you can have full permission to have whatever you want that can feel really scary because they've never had that before and they assume that the problem they've got with food is i let myself have too much i need to restrict and we're sort of doing the opposite to them and that scares the shit out of some people fair enough so having some structures and some habits and some things to focus on is still really important so those practical things like a fruit and veg target, like a protein target, like I'm going to have a protein source and two portions of veg each meal, 
you still have complete autonomy over what you choose and for what you eat, but you still have to have hit these things. And I always say to people that I set these things because you choose what meals you have. I'm not sitting here saying it's chicken, broccoli and rice Tuesdays because that's fucking miserable. But at the same time, you can't hit these goals with turkey, dinosaurs and chips. So there needs to be that balance of I can eat what I want, but I'm going to have to plan it to make sure there's some protein in it and some fruit and veg with it as well. And then the the sort of values and self-awareness stuff that they mentioned, that is just about understanding what's important to you, which when it comes to the sort of flexibility with food and permission to eat is really important. Am I having this food because socially it's going to actually enhance the experience with friends and family because it's really nice food and we're out for food that we're here to enjoy? Or am I eating something just because it's in the office and it's there and I'm having a bad day so I'm going to have the cake that I don't even like? that sort of awareness and understanding of why are you eating this food is really important. And so are your values. So actually understanding what's important to me. Um, why am I trying to change? What are these changes? Do they align with what I want to achieve in my life? And then that bleeds into food choices as well. So actually, if I want to be this sort of person, I don't really want to eat this today, but that's the sort of person that I want to be. So actually, I'm just willing to tolerate a really boring meal or this discomfort with not eating when I feel stressed because in the long run that's going to help me be the sort of person I want to be and it's going to help move me in the right direction so point number six I also trust what you said about food cravings around the menstrual cycle I lean into them fully and I've seen month after month that in the other three weeks of the month I naturally eat less than my normal on some days following my period because I'm just not as hungry so on balance it all works out and I don't end up consuming over consuming over a one month period this is really important in that sometimes you are going to feel hungrier than other times and you can completely deny what you're feeling or you can lean into it a little bit and say well actually I'm a bit hungrier this time other weeks I won't be as hungry as long as I learn how to listen to those weeks I'm not hungry and behave accordingly I can listen to this week where I feel a bit hungrier and behave accordingly as well I'm still going to take off all the other habits we spoke about I'm going to give myself permission to eat and that is absolutely fine. And I can have those things. What tends to happen is that if we listen to how we're feeling, then just try and disregard it, it doesn't end very well. It's kind of like if you're talking to a friend and they just completely dismiss what you are saying, it doesn't feel particularly good. And it's exactly the same if you're talking to yourself. So trusting yourself, which doesn't come easy for people that are chronic dieters. And I think it's one of the benefits of, having a coach is that you can actually outsource some of that accountability and some of the the trust elsewhere so you're not having to just rely on yourself because you at that point you feel like you can't trust yourself around food so having someone to help you build that trust is really helpful but developing that and saying well actually if I can listen to myself on the weeks where I'm not as hungry I can also listen on the weeks when I am and eat more and nothing bad will happen Number seven, consistency and compassion over several months beats perfection over one week. There's not loads more to say about this. Consistency is not the, it's not perfection. It's not 100% achievement. It's not doing everything you ever said that you wanted to do. It's doing most of the right things most of the time. And then the compassion piece comes in on the 20% where you don't do the right things and you're not doing what you want to being kind to yourself and saying well that's very much human nature that is fine I don't need to be perfect perfect not attainable 
there's no there's not even any consensus in the nutrition sciences to exactly what perfect would look like no one's ever going to agree on that so for you to say i've got to be perfect is actually rubbish because there's no such thing so being kind to yourself and saying i didn't act 100 percent how i wanted to this day or this week that's fine what can i do next time and actually when you are compassionate and kind to yourself you give yourself space to work out what it was that went wrong. If you're just horrible to yourself, you're never going to look back and reflect and say, what could I do differently? If you're busy telling yourself, I overate because I'm fat, greedy and lazy and got no willpower and I'm really bad at weight loss. You're not going to reflect on what were the behaviours that actually got me to this point and feeling like this because you feel like you've already worked out the answer. You're telling yourself the answer is because I'm greedy or because I've got no willpower. So you're not going to reflect on what, what was I feeling when I overate? What was the environment? Was I hungry? What sort of food was I eating? All of these things. But the, the reality is the answer is there. The answer is not in a simple rubbish label that you've given yourself that diet programs, society, diet culture might have given people as well. But they're never the answer. If you think that the answer for you to lose weight is more willpower, my question would be, where are you going to get that from? What would that look like for you to have more of that? And people don't know the answer because they don't really know what willpower is. And deep down, they probably know that more willpower isn't the answer. The answer is understanding your behavior better. But if you're horrible to yourself and you say, well, I'm just greedy and lazy, you're never actually going to look for what actually happened. What could the solution be next time I'm in that scenario? If you can do that in a compassionate way, you will find the answers and you will gain better control of your food. Number eight, I would say understanding the true meaning of self-compassion, giving my body what it needs, learning to fuel, not to restrict and enjoy eating my food without guilt. Yeah, so your everything with behavior change comes down to evidence to yourself that this is something you care about. And if you're going to try and lose weight, chances are there's going to be an element of it where you're doing it to try and make yourself feel better in some way whether it's you think you'll be more confident or have more energy or be healthier or anything like that you are doing it because you feel like that's going to help you but if you're trying to do it and i said this earlier if you're doing it in a way that makes you feel awful you're not providing that evidence that you actually matter to yourself so if you are starving yourself or restricting yourself um not giving your body what it needs, not fueling it properly, feeling guilty every time you eat. You're not doing anything that shows you that you are someone you care about. And that is the biggest thing when it comes to behavior change is if you can say, look, here's all this evidence that I give a shit about myself. I'm eating in a way that makes me feel better. I'm being consistent. I'm being nice to myself when it doesn't go that well. I'm exercising regularly, sleeping well, giving myself time to do things that I enjoy, time to relax, all that sort of stuff. If you're not doing that, then you're not giving yourself that evidence that this is something that's important to you. So if you're trying to change, but you always put yourself bottom of the pile, don't be that surprised if the change feels really hard because you're not used to looking after yourself. The other thing I would say is, and the food eating food without guilt again comes up, is one of the things I say to people, one of the habits I work on a lot with clients is allowing yourself to consider the context before you make a food choice. So rather than saying this is good or bad or healthy or unhealthy or fattening or any other rubbish term, ask yourself, does this serve me? And that means that if you are making a decision and it might move you away from your weight loss goal, but it gives you real 
social well-being so you are doing food or drink with friends or family even though it doesn't help you with your weight loss goal in the short term it does serve you because you get all of the benefits of spending time with people and actually in the long term you're going to feel better you're going to feel healthy because you're actually connecting with people which is important and you're more likely to make better food choices later on if you just say i'm not going to do that because it's calories you're going to feel rubbish anyway because you've missed out an opportunity to connect with people and then the fact that you feel rubbish will probably change what your food is afterwards because you'll probably eat for comfort rather than for anything else and you'll end up eating the same amount anyway but without having had the social experience so choosing decisions that serve you doesn't always mean moving towards your weight loss goal it can mean doing things that make you feel good on the other hand, you might think, right, I was going to have a bottle of wine because I've had a bad day. Does that serve me? It's not going to fix the fact I've had a bad day. So probably not, even though I want to do it. I could have the same bottle of wine with a friend and it does serve me, but on my own, it doesn't. And that's when you can start considering the context with your decisions. Number nine, being able to enjoy food with occasions without fear of eating or obsessively checking the menus means I could be more present when I am out to enjoy time with the people I am with and what I'm there for. The food is there to nourish me and I can eat way more than I ever thought possible. So this is a really individual one. So for some people, the calories on menus is a really good thing. And it's a frustration of mine where people say calories on menus is bad or calories on menus is good. Public health, particularly public health nutrition, is a pretty thankless task where whatever you do, you're not going to help everyone. I've had some people say to me it's been a godsend for them because they can still eat without guilt or shame and they feel loads better and they can lose weight and eat out at restaurants, feel like a normal human being, and it's great. There are obviously other people who struggle with their relationship with food and the calories on menus is a really bad thing for them. There's no perfect answer, but finding a way for you to include food out and food to enjoy with people and being okay with that is super important how you do that is going to be different for everyone but having that way for you is really important and then finally that understanding myself means i don't have to find control in my food or finding ways to make myself smaller and smaller or use food as punishment rather i've learned i'm learning to have less control appreciate the body i have and what it does and to be more mindful about what i actually need to do to feel in control using tools other than food restriction this is great for a couple of reasons. One is that people do try and find control and we can't always control everything. Now, typically when people think of food and control, I think they probably do think of eating disorders because there are links between sort of um, disorders like anorexia, for example, and people trying to control something. So they will control their food and their body and their size. But we also see this sort of need, need for control elsewhere. So in people that don't have eating disorders and who do struggle with food, so for example, people that have tried to diet a lot, they will try and find control through the scales. So they will try and control the, the scales going down all of the time. And sometimes that's because they don't have control elsewhere and they think, right, well, I really want to control this. But again, they're trying to control something that they physically cannot influence. So you can influence it, but you can't completely control it. Your scale weight will go up some days. And that's normal and that's fine, but people will try and control that and have a real issue when they don't control it. And also when people are trying to lose weight, they will prep their own food, they'll track their own food, everything like that. But 
as soon as they have to eat at a barbecue or at a friend's house or a parent's house or in-laws, they really panic because they've lost their control and they think that there's nothing that they can do. So sometimes it's about letting go of control and saying, well, I can't control it and that's fine. I need to stop trying to control it. And for some people, it's about understanding I can't control everything. I don't control what the food is, what the calorie content is, how it's cooked. But I have some control. I control what else I eat that day or that week. I control how much I eat in the moment. I can always just stop and say I'm full. I control whether I say yes to more, whether I say yes to dessert afterwards, potentially. There's actually loads of things you could control. So telling yourself that you have no control isn't helpful. Trying to find all of your control through food isn't helpful understanding how you're using food again underpins pretty much everything that we do if you know how you're using food and why you can decide whether that's helping you or not and maybe what else you need to change in your life so that you're not using food so they were the top 10 things from um clients that have worked with me in the past and there were more but i chose those 10 because i thought they were going to be the most helpful and the most useful a couple of bonus ones. One said that the scientific name for celery is, in fact, hairy water, which is true. Celery is disgusting. It's hairy water. If you like it, you want your head looking at. I've never heard someone say, I just like celery on its own. People will say, if I have it with like peanut butter or like Philadelphia or something, it's nice. That just means you like the other thing. You don't like celery. So um, we have to be inclusive of all bananas, and they aren't evil if they are eaten yellow and not green. This is from someone who'd heard a nutritionist before say that you should only eat bananas with a certain colour and other ones will make you get diabetes and die, I think it was. So, yeah, a more inclusive and diverse approach to bananas is also really important. So that is the first podcast back in a while. They were 10 lessons that you can learn from my clients. If you've got any questions on any of that, please do drop me an email and let me know. Email will be in the show notes. And... Yeah, please share this and any other episodes you find useful with friends, family, colleagues, the dog. And I will speak to you really soon.